The Lord be with you. Be with you indeed. I want to share with you from the book of Psalms something that is uh, something I'm experiencing myself and it is also very good to speak from where you are presently experiencing um, in fact I, I, I loathe I, I, I don't think I ever share with you what I myself have not uh, had the Holy Spirit share with me in life and experience and so from Psalm 27 I, I would like to read the whole psalm because obviously you can't really take a verse out But in verse 13, it says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Verse 14, he says, wait for the Lord or wait on the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. And it's that expression in verse 14 that has gripped a hold of me and indeed upholds me. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. The psalm, and that is why I would like to look at it in more detail, but we certainly don't have the time. But it's a psalm that's written over against enemies that have malicious and actual their intention was to kill David he says they came upon him to eat up his flesh you are talking about desperate times in David's life desperate times and and you follow him through that psalm as he is meditating in the presence of God and declaring his faith and then he comes to verse 13 and he looks back on where he's come from in terms of these enemies that were pressing against him and he said you know it it was so bad I was so bad Uh, probably if we were to read it in, in the literal sense it is so bad but he has risen above the is and can now look down upon it and he said I would have despaired unless I had believed To see the goodness of the Lord, which is an umbrella word for the love of God in every aspect of our lives. He said, I would have despaired. I would have plummeted down into the darkness of despair, depression, unless I had believed to see this all-encompassing love, compassion of God toward me. And to see that, not at some distant heaven, but here in the land of of the living and then he gives his testimony in a term of sort of this is what I've done now this is what I'm calling on you to do he describes what he has um, been doing in terms of his relationship with the Lord in the presence of pressing enemies he said wait for the Lord be strong let your heart take courage wait wait for the Lord and it's that expression wait for the Lord 
it, it's found throughout scripture it's uh, if you you and it's not i'm sorry just to take a concordance and look at every word wait you would get a bunch but in the hebrew language there are different uh, ideas different words for wait uh, and this one particularly it, it, it's found all through the psalms and, and it's a word that expresses the the heart of this people of god um wait on the lord wait for the lord uh, actually when you start talking about this it, it's it's looked upon almost as a bad word in the 21st century i mean think about it this this word just to say without explaining in detail what it means in the 21st century right now it, it's a bad word uh, because we live in a world where everything is instant instant you wait for nothing and if you do have to wait you get very very upset and if you wait too long you'll end up suing the person that's making you wait we live in a microwave life we we can't anymore uh, ha- have the the gradual development. We we no longer can anticipate the harvest and, and grow into maturity. It's got to be instant. L- little children today of seven years old are learning stuff and being encouraged into what I didn't even know existed until I was twenty some. And so we 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 no longer know the delight of the gradual cooking of food it's shoved in the microwave and then shoved out in your face all in seconds and we can't write a letter anymore and we don't wait to meet someone it's all texting instant look let's understand this and and i'm not i'm not doing a preacher's rant here this is of supreme importance and think about it because this instant idea has captivated us more than we know let me say this do never 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 try to fit our relationship with God into a cosmic microwave please hear me because you can turn to television and radio and CDs that are out there that that give you formulas of how to make God work now and first of all you can never use a formula with God God is not some thing to be used the the word that describes him is relationship when you speak of love you're speaking of relationship you are speaking of the union of persons and you are talking of that which grows and matures over time and in and through experiences of life i say it again never try to fit your relationship with god into some kind of cosmic microwave which of course doesn't exist and therefore you'll be in despair and futility no the word here which stands actually at the very center of our walk with God is wait. What does the word wait mean? Uh, All the words for wait in the Bible mean some of this. Uh, This word gets specific in in some way. But it it means patience. And um, 
I'd have to say biblical patience because the idea that people have a patience is a sort of um, suffering under endurance. It's it's putting up with something. It's it's standing in the checkout line for nearly an hour while someone finds their credit card, and um, you do, you you don't complain. You just grit your teeth and wait. It's it's sort of the patience that waits for the bus that never comes. Um, no, that that's that's. That's not biblical patience. Patience is steadfastness. It's endurance, but it's always with joyfulness. It, it, it's it's patience plus joy equals biblical patience. The word means to hope, and again, the word hope in our English, as spoken today, is pretty hopeless. It means, well, there's nothing left to do but hope. Whereas hope in the scripture means the absolute assurance. You know that this shall be because God who cannot lie has said so. And so the word contains the strong ideas of expectancy, uh, tiptoe expectancy. It's the excited expectancy. It's anticipation. You are looking, and it says you wait for the Lord. That is, you are not expecting, anticipating from anything here in the material world. You are looking for, anticipating, expecting with holy joy and excitement of that which God will do, that which will be a revelation of him in your life. It also contains the ideas, and some other words are much more specific in this, but be still. And you've read those scriptures, be still. It's in this family of word, uh, wait, be still. Or another one is be silent. And the idea is you have come to the absolute end of anything you could do anyway. You, you, You are feeling your helplessness. You're feeling not only your mortal weakness, but there's nowhere to turn. And so instead of spiraling into despair and frustration, you turn your attention and you wait for him to act when you cannot see any way through. You look to him You wait for him. You anticipate him when you don't know what he could do because there's no way you can see through. And so another way of saying wait would be be present to him who is always present to you. It's it's when circumstances are crushing and you tend to turn your attention to the circumstance. You've, you know there's nothing you can do. And so you, you re- remember, you realize that life is in being present to, intentionally present to him who is always present to you. And you wait for him. You wait for him. So... This word turns up a lot when you feel that you're drowning in life. When you feel that everything is lost. 
when you feel like giving up and you are ready to yield to despair. And if you read through the Psalms, when the psalmist arrives at some situation like that, sooner or later the words, wait for the Lord, or wait on the Lord, will show up. You could say that this word is uh, to the forefront in the, what shall I call it, the desert of our senses. When all our senses are reporting to us, there's nothing here. It's only the desert of death. It's the valley of the shadow of death. And then this waiting for the Lord takes first, foremost place. We wait for Him. It's that, That's biblical patience. It is expressed in an immovable faith that rests in the Lord when I cannot see, hear, touch, taste, smell any way through. And so I wait for the Lord. You see, this waiting for the Lord, you might have realized already, assumes that presently He is unseen. Now that's, you see, that's it. Presently, I do not see what God is doing. Right at this moment, I I cannot even see the movement of a blade of grass that would suggest the wind of the Spirit is blowing through. You see, it's the desert of my senses. My my senses can't pick up anything. And and so, it's, it's that point where unseen and to some yes unfelt and at that point we learn this word to wait to anticipate the God who cannot abandon us the God who cannot forsake us the God who is active urgent love toward us even though at this moment we're not feeling it we're not seeing it but our heart waits on him expectant that God must act consistent with who he is even though presently I'm not feeling it or seeing it there did you get that See, it's, it's in those moments that we develop a deep trust in Him, which is the very essence of real life. Because, as I said a moment ago, love demands relation. If you don't have something more than merely knowing about love, No, you have to know the love of God, a relationship with that love, and that relationship is built in these times when we wait upon Him, when our senses tell us, I don't see anything, I don't feel anything, and anything I do see and feel is disaster. And at such a time, a relationship, a trusting God is developed. And so, waiting upon God, this posture of hope, anticipation, 
expectancy, this being still. Sometimes I've, I've run out of words to say, and so I'm, I'm silent before him. Uh, at that time, we develop this total trust. That doesn't mean to say we fly through that with, with flying colors. You read through the Psalms, and how many times will you read either something as uh, direct as, How long, O Lord? How long? You've read that, haven't you? Um, and, and you can read it outside of the book of Psalms, but certainly the book of Psalms, where the heart of the people of God is expressed. But it's not only that direct phrase. You read the book of Psalms, and many times the psalmist is writing out of a, a seeming confusion. It's darkness, and God, where are you? Where are you? Or the cry from the psalmist, listen to me, God, listen to me, hear my cry. See, don't, don't be ashamed of it when you say that, because it's all through the Psalms. It's perfectly okay. The Holy Spirit put it there to say this is how normal believers are bold before God. Well, we can say that. Wait on the Lord. But sometimes in, in that waiting we say, how long, O Lord? How long? When are you going to come through? When are you going to do what your promise is? Tell me you would do. You see... In our immaturity, the, the first beginnings of our Christian life, and for some people they never advance too far beyond it, but in those beginning months of our Christian life, we tend, I mean, it, it, it happened right in our salvation many times, especially the way the gospel is presented these days. Um, we, we come to God with ourselves and our needs front and center. See, um, and I don't condemn that. That's how it is. Um, we're very aware of our personal needs. We come with our sins and our bondages and our hopelessness and so on. We, we come with that and we come with desperate needs and we're very aware of the needs and we heard something that suggested God would, would work his wonders. And so we came and it was all attention on ourselves. And so in that uh, atmosphere, we tend to look at faith as the ultimate formula to make God do what we want him to do. And for baby Christians, <clears throat> that's the way it is. And um, in the mercy of God, he gradually weans us to see that this incredible salvation is all about him and our true life begins when we move away from self even if that self is looking to God to fulfill it we move away to realize our fulfillment is in God but it's in those moments and, and sometimes as I say they stay with us 
And, and therefore you get an image of God, and maybe not a conscious one, but a subconscious idea that the, he is the sort of um, water, the, the holy soda machine. You know, you, you put in your, your quarters, and, and you're, you're expecting, I put in my quarters, and now the can of soda is going to appear. And you see, it doesn't, because God isn't the soda machine. You don't put in the coins of whatever, the formula you've, you've heard. Uh, I mean, it just, there's no formula. Please understand that. And I know I'm going against a lot of what you've heard. But you cannot have a formula with love. No, you, you, you don't do this and do that and then you get that. God wants to love you and he wants to embrace you and therefore your only response can be faith or trust. It's not a soda machine, but many times when it seems like the absence of God, we're ready to kick the soda machine. I put in what they told me to put in and nothing's coming out. No, you got it wrong. Wait on the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Look to him who presently you do not feel and expect and anticipate his activity in your life, but it will be at a far deeper level than you've been imagining with your soda machine God. You see, he, he's not the three-wish genie in the bottle. Uh, and you just got to rub the bottle and make your wishes and he'll come through and do whatever you tell him. No, he's not the genie. Or to put it, I, I'm, I'm trying to find a way in to let you face up to what many persons um, believe about God. God is not our invention. I'll put it this way, he's not the ultimate God app on your iPhone. It isn't that now I've got the ultimate God gadget and I can just press the app and here he does, does what I tell him. See, we try to fit God into our image which is into the limits of our thoughts and into the limitations of our humanness. And we say that's what he can do, that's what he can't do, that's what he should do. And this is the God. We, we made him. And, and the Bible does call that idolatry if you keep pushing it. Um, it's, you, you make the God out of your own thoughts as to what he should be like and, and then you control him and manipulate him because if I do this and do that, he must do that. And the thing grows and grows like a hideous, many-tentacled monster. And of course it doesn't work because God isn't like that. God loves you and God desires and God will only have relationship. And so sometimes, see, you know, we don't feel him as we thought we should. And we, we come to an end of all our ideas that we're building about God. And, and you realize I'm just left with the God who loves me. And the God who was sworn in covenant that he will never leave me, never forsake me. Whether I feel him presently or not, he is God. 
and a trust in God is being developed and the muscles of our spirit are being strengthened. We're waiting upon the Lord. He's bringing us to a fullness of life that previously we'd not even imagined. Um, Waiting then is trusting this limitless covenant love of God when we do not understand what's going on and when what we thought should be going on isn't going on. So waiting for the Lord is foundational to our walk of faith and trust foundational to our having relationship with him which is true life but let me insist that waiting this waiting for the Lord is is not dragging ourselves through life with a sigh I'm just waiting for the Lord it's, it's not the boredom of all the forms of waiting that we use in our modern speech this, this is confident hope see this is when you are trusting God who presently you cannot see who presently you cannot feel presently they, there's no appearance that would encourage me to believe he's there but I, I've tapped down to the deepest trust of spirit and now I trust him he cannot let me down he cannot forsake me but rather not only cannot do that he is the God who is always consistent with himself and therefore his love and his goodness and his compassion are still They are there, though I cannot feel, and they shall be made visible, and they shall enter the reality of my concrete material world. And so my expectancy, my anticipation, is with the joy of faith, the joy of expecting God to be who he is. It's to anticipate. It's the anticipation of surprise. It's, it's watching for the goodness of God to become visible and to take shape. Okay, Moses, and I mean everything was pretty bad for Moses. He, without going into the story, I mean he was wanted for murder in Egypt and the murder had been all uh, believing that he was doing the work of God and was very badly mistaken and, and so he fled from Egypt he was a uh, convicted murderer on the run and he's hidden away in the desert and having lived all his life as a royal prince of Egypt now to be living as basically a cowboy in the desert looking after sheep and luxury gone until forgotten blasted by sandstorms burned by the heat and 
it says that that he endured seeing the invisible so when all his senses took in what was happening he endured he went through seeing the invisible that's waiting upon god it's anticipating him you know he is there and no one nothing can shake you from that you see the invisible and you trust that he shall visibilize in your life so you are you're watching watching and as you've ever stayed up all night and it gets around five o'clock and you you begin to watch the the sky and you're watching for the first streak of the dawn you know the dawn is coming presently it's darkness but you you know just in literally a few minutes half an hour maybe at the most and you'll see the streaks of light and gradually the sky will turn color and dawn will burst upon you and what is silent now will burst into the song of the birds and everything will come alive. You know it's coming, but presently it's dark. That's waiting. It's anticipating. Do you remember Paul in Philippians chapter 1? And he's writing to the Philippians about his situation. And it's pretty bad. He's in jail for the preaching of the gospel. And in jail he is wondering what's going to happen because the emperor of Rome that has put him in jail is a madman essentially and he is wondering is it you know all this the the emperor of Rome or the Caesar he just either went thumbs up or thumbs down if he put thumbs down you're beheaded that's the end of it and, and so he didn't know he was waiting and as he is in jail he writes Philippians and um, he is I'm trying to find it right now Um, yes here it is verse 20 he says "I, I know this will all turn out for my deliverance through your prayers the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything but that with all boldness Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body whether by life or by death so he said whatever happens but he says uh, this word earnest expectation that's about as good as you can say it in English he takes Greek words and he puts them all on top of each other to make a uh, it means to be standing on tiptoe as if to see out of a window you're standing on tiptoe and your neck is stretched out your eyes bugged out and you are searching the darkness because you know there's light out there now try and put that into English but all those ideas that he piles them in to say that my earnest expectation he said I'm standing on tiptoe my neck is stretched out forward my eyes are riveted into the darkness I know I know that in the midst of all this I am going to discover a greater dimension of the boldness and the strength and the grace of God whatever happens with joyfulness you, the, 
I mean, that, that, that is the most positive paragraph for a man who could be under a death sentence, you see. And all through this letter, which emerges out of that phrase, really, all through this letter, he says, Rejoice! And again I say to you, rejoice! The man is singing at this time. He's waiting. Does it begin to make sense to you what waiting is? You could say waiting is living the Amen. What we say at the end of prayer, amen, it means, it's a Hebrew word, and it means so be it, or that's the way it is. It's more, I've been praying and asking, now I move to say that's the way it is. And so uh, the person waiting is saying into the darkness, into the faces of mine enemies, uh, I am saying, that's the way it is. What is around me is true presently at this moment, but truth, he is the one that I am looking at. And truth says that you are defeated. Truth says that his covenant love embraces me and carries me through. And he has plans and determinations for me that are all of peace and joy. And so we say amen and we live it with intentional trust in response to the God who has revealed himself in Jesus. And so you'll hear David say again throughout the Psalms, go through them, underline these things, where where he says, I will, he says, in the day that I am afraid, I will trust in you. Notice that. It's not in the day I'm afraid, I, I, I hope I'll trust. He says, I've set my will. Some things you don't have to think about anymore. It's, we've determined it. In the day that I am afraid, I will trust in you. And in another place, he says almost the same, except I will hope in you. And then, of course, in Psalm 23, uh, Valley of the Shadow of Death, I will fear no evil. It's the predetermined. This is the way things are. This is the way they shall be. I trust in you, Lord. You cannot let me down. You cannot abandon me. And so when I don't feel you, and when the rank smell of death itself fills my nostrils, I will hurl back in you I trust. In you I trust. Say an amen. You you look at the promises of God, there's no way, no way you can imagine that they could ever be fulfilled. If you're going to look at what's happening to you, but then like the Virgin Mary, you talk about impossible, announce that she will bear a child without a human father and the child shall be the son of the Most High God. And her response is not an intellectual response. It's not saying, let me work this out. It was simply a heart response that says, be it unto me according to your word. I can't figure this out. I don't see any way through, but you said it, be it unto me according to your word. This It's an active choice. It's an intentional act. I choose to wait, expect, anticipate, and be still before the God who loves me when I don't even know what to say. But at the same time, that active choice is in fact to rest in the character, rest in who he is. And it takes the form then of praise. 
This is the highest form of praise. To praise God for who he is. To praise him for his covenant revealed character. Without any fuel of that praise being from feelings and from senses and from what I see. But straight up from my heart to God. This is who you are and I give you praise. And I thank you. And my hallelujahs echo through the valley of the shadow of death. Because you are who you say you are. Or as Paul states so strongly in Romans, let God be true, even if every man thus seems and is proved a liar. God is true, I don't care what I hear. God is true, I don't care what I see. God is true, I don't care what I'm touching and feeling. God is true, even if everything else has to then be said is a lie. For God is true. And let me emphasize this, wait on the Lord. That is, you're not waiting, anticipating, expecting something that you've determined in your head goodness will look like. Do you you know what I mean? There are many people that are waiting on their own idea of what God should do. Do you you follow me? Uh, I'm... I'm not splitting hairs here, this is very important. We, we get into our heads exactly how God is supposed to work. We've got into our heads what it's going to look like when he does work. And we, that's it, that's what we're waiting for. No, we wait on the Lord. And in waiting on the Lord... You could almost say every time, but sometimes out of sight. He he does, beyond anything our wildest imaginations could ever concoct, waiting on the Lord means that I am not locking God into what I say God should do. I'm waiting on the Lord, and when He acts then it, it, it's beyond my miserable little boxes of what I thought goodness would look like. It's waiting on the Lord. Put it this way, I am wide open to be amazed. I, I'm, I'm wide open for a divine surprise to fill my life. So it's single-eyed expectancy of God and it's marinated in joy-filled praise, waiting on God. And what, what do I mean by this, you know, beyond what we can think? Many, many times the truth is, as I said earlier, this word comes into vital play when we've run out of thoughts of what a deliverance would look like. Um, Take Acts 16. It's a long story and I can't go into all of it, but Paul and Silas have gone into Philippi. Philippi, who I just quoted from. And they were there to proclaim the gospel, to start a community of believers. 
and they come right up against the local demonic temple um, and um, we know it to have been the temple of Apollyon and there was a demon possessed girl probably attached to the temple in a serious way and she followed Paul around and it was mocking and said these are the servants of the Most High God but it wasn't only mocking them it was beginning to give the appearance that Paul was connected to whatever this girl represented. Her idea of the Most High God must be theirs. And so this was getting very complicated. And finally, Paul commands the demonic spirits to leave the girl, which they do. And the temple authorities are infuriated. And it ends up that Paul is arrested for civil unrest. And they're thrown into jail after they had had uh, a beating that only the Roman brutal sadist could give. And, and there they are, smarting, bleeding, bruised from the beating, and they're put in the stocks. That's when they twist your arms and legs and lock them in, in grotesque uh, ways uh, and giving you more extreme pain. And so what, what's the response of Paul and Silas? I mean, that's pretty well the end. I mean, you could say our mission in this town is over. And we have to admit, Satan won, and they'll probably let us out of here after a bit, and we'll clear out of here and get going. That's what it looked like. Instead, Paul and Silas, with their arms and legs twisted to the point of screaming pain, while their backs were bleeding from the beating, they began to sing praise to God, that God was who God is and can never be other than that, and he has overcome and defeated all the powers of Satan. And on they praised, and on they worshipped. That was waiting on God. They had no idea how they would get out of this. They had no idea how all the strategies of Satan would be brought to nothing. No idea whatsoever. But they praised God. And they were surprised, along with everybody else, amazed, I believe, by the earthquake that suddenly hit the town, but not only hit the town, amazingly went straight through the center of that jail and amazingly opened all the prison doors and all the chains fell out of the walls and they stand now in command of the situation. They were not only delivered, but the jailer became a believer and the city council came and begged their forgiveness, begged them to keep their mouths shut to the authorities because they had made an illegal beating and the church in Philippi had special protection from the city fathers. That's waiting on God. You, you go through that 
quickly as I said it, go through it slowly and realize the darkness and the pain and the temptation to believe God has abandoned them. But no, they praise God who is bigger than their circumstance, whose love uses the worst Satan could do to be the foundation for something that shattered all the strategies of Satan. Or what about standing at the Red Sea? Now there's a story. A story that we really need to consider. Why on earth were they standing on the shores of the Red Sea? You know what I'm talking about. When they all came out of Egypt, um, I don't know how many people, some say uh, nearly three million people, and, and they've come to the shores of the Red Sea. But you see, that was stupid. When they came out of Egypt... If, if here's the borders of Egypt and you come across, we got the ancient maps, we know exactly what they faced. You cross the border point here, and here is the main road, dead straight. It leads down here into the land of Canaan, way over here. And it says the cloud of God's presence met them. The cloud that would guide them through the wilderness. The presence of God. And it met them as they crossed the border post. They're now out in the desert. And the cloud begins to lead them. He's the personal divine guide. Only... They don't go down the main road to Canaan, which is where they were supposed to be going. Rather... The cloud turned off into the desert, trackless desert. And here, the the trackless desert was sand dunes. I mean, it is a place to get lost. Only the cloud moved them through that trackless wilderness. And and they end up facing the Red Sea. You see, if they'd gone along the main road, it would have gone over the top of the Red Sea. And they wouldn't maybe see it from a distance, but there'd be no... They, they go off and they get apparently lost in the wilderness, only the, the cloud is guiding them and, and they come then to the shores of the Red Sea. I mean, this is stupid. Do you hear what I'm saying? They could have gone on a straight road and missed the Red Sea altogether. Instead, the cloud of God's presence led them to this impossible situation. Terrifying situation. Where... The, the, the Red Sea is in front of us and now Pharaoh has come to his senses and realized I've let the slaves go and he's now pursuing them with his SWAT team. And so with the Red Sea in front and a wilderness all around them now and Pharaoh there tormenting captor is coming after them. And, and the people are terrified, of course. The, the best they could hope for is to be taken back to Egypt as slaves again, but they, the trouble they've given to the Pharaoh is probably they'll be slaughtered right on the spot. And the word of the Lord was, Be still, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. If I stand still, that's in this family of words, wait. Don't, don't, don't try. Don't go spinning off in intellectual circles. What should we do? What should we do? Where should we turn? We can't do anything. No. Be still. Be still. 
stand into what is obvious. You can't do anything. So then, choose it. Be still. And see. See now with inside eyes. And in a minute, you'll see with these eyes. See the salvation of the Lord. Interestingly, this is the first time in the Bible. Exodus 13, I believe it is. First time, or is it 14? Exodus 14. The first time the word salvation appears. Incidentally, salvation has been... Oh, what what religion has done to the word salvation. Today, when people say the word salvation, it's 98% water and 2% the real thing. It's been so diluted, it's hardly recognizable. The word salvation, it means deliverance. And, and deliverance from every possible thought you could have in terms of that which binds you and that which holds you and restricts you and confines you. Deliverance. Deliverance that brings me into perfect peace and harmony and that joy which is divine strength. It means strength whereby my core person is filled with the Holy Spirit and delivered through the cross and the blood of Jesus and his resurrection from all that would bind me. Delivered from all the pressures and chains of Satan. Delivered from all my sin. Delivered from all its power delivered from sickness that's part of the meaning of the word and delivered into life it's a massive word but something interesting about the word salvation it means it's inherent in the meaning only God can do it if you have a hand in it we don't call it salvation But salvation means this is something only God can do. It comes wholly from the God side. So he said, stand still and see the salvation, see the deliverance of the Lord. Why did the cloud lead them through that maze of the wilderness and lead them up to the lapping waters of the Red Sea where there's no way across? And all that time wasted wandering around to come to an absolute dead end, giving Pharaoh time to pursue them? Why why did God do that? I mean, here he comes, how long, O Lord, what are you doing, O God, you've forsaken me, O God. Yeah, God led you here. Why? Because, you see, he didn't want just to take you down the main road where actually Pharaoh could have gotten a hold of you a lot quicker. He's got a purpose. He wants to do something in Israel's life that they will never forget. That throughout all the unfolding ages of their history, this would be 
the anchor point by which they understood God's deliverance in their life. If he could do this, he could do anything. He also wanted to have a final confrontation with Pharaoh that he would trouble them no more. Even Moses doesn't know what's going to happen. And then he says, what are you doing standing there? Take your rod, lift it over the sea. And Moses did it. And the sea opens up and they walk through. And you know the rest of the story. That's waiting on the Lord. When all you can see is the waters of the Red Sea, and if you turn the other way, all you can see is the dust cloud made by advancing Pharaoh. And he says, stand still. Expect of me. Stand on tiptoe. Strange with the darkness. Like a little child on Christmas morning. Anticipate the salvation of the Lord which is beyond your imagination. You could never dream of this in your wildest thoughts about God. So just be still and expect of him. That's that's waiting. It's waiting. And so you could say the word of God, a promise of God, a statement concerning his character is sown inside of you and then you wait and you fill that waiting time with praise and that joy-filled praise anticipation that God is being consistent with who he is is patience in the Bible steadfastness and then we see in our material visible world all that he has promised. The, the act of this, actually we have a lot of practice in, except we, we do it in the wrong direction. We know how to wait, only we wait upon the wrong, I was going to say God, as long as you understand that God is small g and is phony to the core, but the flesh, human flesh, human that finds life within own mortality. Flesh, flesh, waits. What does flesh wait upon? Waits upon, anticipates and expects the worst that Satan can do. Think about it. Waiting anticipating, expecting, standing in paralyzed silence, the flesh thus waits upon Satan. Whether first-hand Satan or Satan behind events and behind people urging them on for my destruction, the flesh waits upon that anticipates it. We call it anxiety. Anxiety and worry is the flesh waiting on the worst that darkness can do to me. I expect it. I anticipate it. I imagine it. I talk about it. (laughs) 
and whatever is visibly happening the flesh calls that reality and therefore God to the flesh at that point is unfaithful and the flesh will say so God has abandoned me, God has rejected me, God has failed in his covenant promise. And if you doubt what I just said, just look at what's happening to me. That, that's any, any sensible, sane person can see, God has abandoned me. Look at what's happening. That's the flesh waiting on the worst that darkness can do to me and calling God unfaithful. In, in Isaiah, I think it's chapter 40, uh, Israel is portrayed as saying, my way is hidden from the Lord. That is, he's disinterested. He's not caring. He doesn't even see what's happening to me. Giving praise to the flesh, giving the amen that comes from the flesh, is in complaining and self-pity it's complaining about the way things are it's complaining about what is happening to me and, and things are not the way I thought they would be and complain and the Bible often calls it grumbling or it's, it's almost a sound word of moaning it's a deep negative growl and howl it's self-pity, poor me, I'm the victim of circumstances. Did you hear what he said to me? Did you see what she did to me? Poor me. All that is giving praise to the darkness and saying you're achieving your end. You're doing it, see? It's predicting evil. It's saying things are, can only get worse. Look at the way things are. There's no way out of this. We predict evil. We open our eyes in the morning and we anticipate evil happening. And late, late night we rehearse over and over again, what if this happens and what if that happens. Understand this, all this is the flesh waiting on the darkness. I've spent the last hour trying to show you what waiting on the God who is love, who is doing his purposes even though presently, silently and invisibly. And our response is faith and giving praise to him and resting in the God I cannot feel or see at this present time. You say, why? I mean, why does it have to be like that? Why? But Job asked that question. I, I love it. It's, it's God at his most playful moment. You read it halfway through the book of Job where God steps in. And, and Job is basically saying, why does this have to happen? Why, why do I have to? Why has this time when you seemed absent and I didn't know what you were doing? Why? And God comes in. Read it. Because as I say, it's almost God in a playful mood. And he says, and I, I'm, I'm inserting the ideas here. Basically, he says, now, come on, little Job. Where were you when I created the earth? I mean, obviously, if you want an answer to that question, we can quickly go through the mysteries of creation before we get to the real heavy stuff, you know. We'll go through first grade and second grade uh, quickly, and then we'll be able to answer your question as to why the mysteries of life. And so, um, 
Do you know, Job, do you know how to put the stars into place so they'll just hang where they're supposed to? I'm sure you do know that, or you wouldn't have asked the question about why this is happening to you, would you? Uh, Job, I mean, have you ever told the sea that it can come so far and no further? I'm sure you have. I mean, that's basic, isn't it? Um, And all the way through, and he speaks of his creations, and it's always... leading Job through it and at the same time saying, Job, this is kindergarten. I mean, you're asking a a first-year university question and this is kindergartners do. And at the end of it, Job just falls down before the Lord and worships him because he said, now I know. Now I know. It's, It's not trying to understand with your head. It's knowing that he's with me in my heart. Now I know. And what happens, this word wait, it also means, and we've spoken about this before, it means to bind, to weave together. It's to plait when you take strands of hair and plait them together. Um, And so as you thus choose to wait, faith waits upon God and expects of him intentionally and with active praise And the quiet action of the Holy Spirit binds you together with him. And it's something you realize after the fact. You look back and realize that you were restored at your center. You were rebuilt. You were renovated. You were made strong in waiting on the Lord. My time has gone But remember, he said it twice. He gave it as his testimony. I would have despaired unless I had believed. And then goes on to define what he means as saying, wait on the Lord, wait for the Lord. And then having said that, he turns to us, the readers, and said, wait for the Lord. As if to say, did you hear me? Did you get it? Then do it. And I... I trust that everyone who listens to this will wait on the Lord and do it. And now the blessing of God who is limitless, unconditional love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit bless you with the grace and the strength to wait upon him and to overcome the darkness, and to dance with him in the glorious outcome of his purpose. So I bless you, and declare that is the way it is. Amen.